my next yeah. question to you uh, is uh, relates to, to the last paragraph of your introduction of the Utah Historical mm-hmm. Quarterly Summer 2018 special issue. And that special issue, which is all about World War I, which, of course, we just mm-hmm. finished the 100th anniversary in 2018. Yeah. The title of that special issue was Remembering the Great War, 1918 yep. to 2018. And in it, in this introduction, you wrote, the, so- the sorrow of the influenza pandemic traveled with my father's family for much of the mid-20th century. My great-grandmother, Gladys Craighead, Buck was an expecting mother during the winter of 1918. Then in January 1919, at 18 years old, and only three days after giving birth to her first child, who was Glenn Buck, she died in Smithfield, Cache County, Utah, from influenza and pneumonia. Her death at the great physical, at a great physical distance from the battlefield of World War I, was yet one of the millions of tragedies of war that affected lives across the globe and ushered in a new phase of modern modernity. Uh, tell us, tell us about Gladys. Tell us, open up this family story. Uh, I really hope that our listeners can understand through this personal family account the uh, the effect uh, and the impact of influenza that happened in 1918 across the world. Thank you so much for asking me about Gladys. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, she's very close to my heart. She's very close to my heart. Um, and and what I know about her is from a few family stories, not many, and not firsthand, actually. And then what I've been able to find in records here and there. So... I want folks to understand that I'm trying to be a good historian, but there's still more work to do on my sweetheart, Gladys. <laughs> I call her my sweetheart, my <laughs> girl or something, because I love her. I love Gladys. Um, so I'm, I'm teller, so <laughs> I have a bias. Um, so Gladys was born to um, quite an, I don't know, a, a, a family with a Latter-day Saint pedigree. Um, her parents were Thomas Craighead and Elmira Covey. She was born in Smithfield. And I think, as far as I can tell, she was a happy, lovely, lively, popular young woman and um, grew up in Smithfield. She married Charles Buck, who was also from kind of an established Latter-day Saint farming family there in Cache County. Um, he was about 10 years older than her. They married in 1918, February 1918, and everyone was very happy for them. Um, we have, my mother has found some wonderful photos of, you know, them gathered around tables with friends and she is, she's just beautiful. She's just beautiful and young and happy. And, um, so they marry in February, 1918, Gladys and and Charles. And then, um, of course the, the war is going on and, um, and the, the influenza outbreak, um, you know, it comes in three waves, and the third wave is that that winter of 1918-1919. And um, Gladys was expecting little baby boy, Glenn Buck, my grandfather. And um, the just what you read from the death certificate we talked about before the camera started rolling here um, is, is very poignant. <laughs> it's extremely poignant. You see that uh, the physician started attending her on January 10th, 
1919. Um, little Charles Glenn Buck is born on January 13th. Okay, so she's sick enough on the 10th for a physician to come in. On the 13th, the baby boy is born. And then on January 15th, um, Gladys dies of influenza. That's sort of the cause of death. And then the complicating factors are pneumonia following childbirth. So um, that's just, just the facts there are extremely poignant. She's 18 years old and a couple of months. So, you know, almost a child herself. Um, and she's buried on January 18th. I was able to find an obituary for her, or rather, not an obituary, but um, it's actually the, the Logan Republican newspaper, and it's News of the Week from Smithfield, and I'll read this. It says, Mrs. Gladys Buck was the daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Thomas Craighead. She gave birth to a baby boy two days before her death, and the child is still living. The community sympathized deeply with the family, and the young husband, who was less than a year ago married to his young bride. Mrs. Buck was a very popular and highly respected young woman, and her loss is felt deeply in many places. So that's, that's very poignant. Mm. And what kind of got me the other day as I was looking all this up is this is, you know, one week in a little farming town in Cache County, Utah. And around my sweetie Gladys's um, notice, there are funeral services for for other folks, other young people too. Um, so right below the paragraph about Gladys is death for the second time in two months visited the home of Mr. and Mrs. Gillenskog claiming their beautiful 18-year-old daughter, Mary E. Um, another paragraph. Influenza claimed another of our townspeople in the person of Ivan Hansen. Ivan was born in the city 32 years ago and was well-known and respected. So... Again and again, that's that's one week in Smithfield, Utah. A, a relatively you know. um, rural, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, little town um, in Cache Valley, mm-hmm. um, and in that same issue, uh, Holly, that is the World War One issue where you talk about the yeah. pandemic. You describe um, um, what twenty two thousand some odd people who died in Utah. And I know there's mm-hmm. some controversy about just how they tabulated that, but just yeah. the fact that at one week, three deaths in a little town in a remote rural area of Utah just shows you the kind of impact the pandemic had on Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the ripple effect on the lives <laughs> left, left there. Yeah, and, and just for our listeners to understand, I mean, uh, um, this this disease, uh, this particular um, strain or virus, uh, was more deadly for people uh, the ages of fifteen to to thirty. Uh, I, I know that it also affected small children and also the aged, uh, you know, those that were senior citizens. But it was mostly uh, young people uh, like Gladys. Um, what kind yeah. of effect did it have on your family? Um, tragic death. Uh, quite a terrible one. <laughs> and again, this is, I'm, I'm drawing from family stories at this point and what I can corroborate in, in, in public records. Um, so Gladys, Gladys, of course, dies in, there in January 1918. 
and her son, Glenn Buck, Charles Glenn Buck, my grandfather was born. He was a beautiful child, lots of curly black hair. Just, he looked so much like my sister. And um, he was born. And um, the father, Charles Buck, um, from what I understand, from what I've heard, became very bitter towards um, him, towards the baby. Oh. And um, dealt with the bitterness of losing his beautiful wife by drinking. And yeah, so he 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 drank too much and was bitter. And um for a, a time in his childhood, little Glenn went and lived with his grandparents in LA and they loved him, adored him, took care of him. And then by the time he's ten, at least, he's back in in Cache County working on the farm with his dad. And Charles remarried, um, had a whole house full of children. And again, from what I know, he was, it, things weren't always great. It, it was rough. Um, and I can't find, I find newspaper notices for Charles Buck, but I'm not quite sure it's my Charles. Um, I, it, it does appear there was some, you know, rowdiness. <laughs> um, and then my own grandfather, um, he he had a pretty rough life. He he had a drinking problem also. Um, yeah, he drank, and um, he greatest thing that ever happened was he married my grandma, um, Angel. She was, and um, they lived in L.A. He worked at a tire factory. He was a union man. My dad grew up with union meetings in the front room, <laughs> and um, so. So my Glenn, that little baby, he he also had a rough life. He died in 1968, just before my parents were married, and he, um, I think of diabetes, and I, I, I'm sure the alcohol contributed. But, well, so um, so kind of a sad life. You know, but it's um, I, I'm sure as you're just dealing with the kind of broader skimming over it. But what I gathered and what I felt most strongly about when I read your introduction to the to this issue is just uh, how the uh, pandemic had this kind of rippling effect, as you as you wrote, into the twentieth mid twentieth century. Um, yeah. A, and uh, someone so full of life, uh, young and uh, just raring to to get into life. I mean, that was the impact of not only World War, or not only the pandemic, but World War One. I. I mean, as a historian, talk about the effect that these two had on society and culture. There were some, um, you know, some, um, what do you want to say, um, cynicism, you know, great societal impact here. Cynicism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know the thing I always think of probably you too is the the World War One literature, the the poetry and the, the the depth of the cynicism and the sorrow there. Um, you know we had the opportunity two years ago now almost to um, have a kind of a closing ceremony. Um, I don't know a, a a centennial commemoration of the of the war of the armistice, and um, I. I was able to get a string quartet to play a really beloved piece of music there by an English composer named George Butterworth. Mm-hmm. And he was, again, this bright, handsome, remarkable composer who, you know, in the style of Rafe Vaughn Williams, 
you spoke soon. And um, he, he was cut short in the battle. And he was evidently very brave and, you know, wonderful man. Um, and so we, we had the string quartet playing that there at the rotunda of the Capitol. And, um, you know, it's, it's, there, there are all these sorrows that you, they're just kind of too deep. Well, it was just a, uh, in, there's a lot to, a lot to move on from for people. Yeah. And I think, um, uh, as we, as Utahns, uh, observed the hundredth anniversary and now with the COVID-19 mm-hmm. virus, I think we can kind of understand how potentially yeah. society can be altered and, uh, have, uh, um, you know, a pall come over us, a, a haunting effect for a, for a generation. And, uh, I, I yeah. think in some ways your family story is part of that whole post-World War One. You know, this isn't historian. I guess it's mom in me. Um, my thought as I was as I was looking at this was, um, man, be nice to kids. You know, mm-hmm. that, uh, that make sure that the little ones, that even though we're going through so much, that it's it's not visited on them. You know, like oh. like it was on my grandfather. Wow, what a we, what a profound statement, Holly. So true. <laughs> you know, and wear a mask. Yeah, and and wear your mask and uh, keep mask. your distance, and let's get through this together. Yeah. Holly, any other comments, stories, thoughts you want to share related to this family experience? I I want to talk to you about a, a Facebook. I want to ask you if you have it handy to read. Let's that. move on to that. Yeah. Do we, should we? Okay. Um, uh, so in, on February 4th, 2020, face in the Facebook post of the State Historical Society, you frame up the 1918 pandemic just as we begin yeah. our kind of uh, descent into this pandemic. Do, do you have that? Why Can you read that? Or I do. Yeah, I do. Um, okay. And this is what happens for me listening to way too much news. Okay. <laughs> okay. So this is February 4th this year. We wrote, a century ago, Utah and the world faced a pandemic reminiscent of today's tragic ongoing coronavirus, the Spanish influenza outbreak, which killed some 50 million people worldwide. In Utah alone, one-fifth of the population fought the flu with more than 2,915 deaths occurring throughout the state. And then I talk about how the news reminded me of an article we published uh maybe in 2019 or 2018, uh, it all blends together, but um, by Polly Ayers, a really good article about nursing students in Provo and their experiences they had during the pandemic. And she wrote particularly of one young woman, Venice Foote. And can I read this quote from oh, Venice? please. I think it, uh, this is in Provo, Utah, in the little Aird Hospital. Yeah. This is a group of doctors yeah. and a little nursing school. And this mm-hmm. is a personal statement about the impact of that pandemic. Yeah. About Venice's experiences. She wrote, during the flu epidemic in 1918 and 1919, I nursed in hospitals and homes. At that time, I felt if this flu epidemic would stop, I would never complain again. So many people died with the flu. We were working day and night. They would call me on a case. I would go and find whole families down in bed. Sometimes there might be one child that could help. They would have to have food cooked, fires kept, treatments, children fed, some poor little things crying and with high fevers. If it had not been for the help of the Lord, I could not have done it. With my whole being crying for a little rest, I would ask him to give me strength 
and I could always go just a little longer. That's from a nurse, and a really I, young woman. I, I know the article was about the sweep of the nursing school, but I just thought that was so poignant, and uh, being someone yeah. who grew up in Provo, Utah, and one of my great-grandfathers, um, David Westwood was one of the doctors that was mm-hmm. part of that hospital. Yeah. So uh, that was, you know, that moment where you kind of take a deep breath, that, that statement about so many who, who died and um, the helplessness of the physicians and the nurses. I mean, ostensibly, mm-hmm. there is no uh, way of treating it in any reasonable way. I mean, yeah. they don't even know it's a virus. Viruses aren't really truly understood by the medical community until the 1930s, and they presume it might be uh, bacterial, but they that's not actually the case. Uh, you know, such things as keeping windows open and Vicks vapor mm-hmm. rub and mustard plasters and, uh, yeah. you know, covering the sick. Uh, this this was the helpless acts these nurses uh, must have done. And in and, and that same article, Holly, it states that nursing kind of had a drop. People did, weren't interested in the profession of nursing because mm-hmm. of the trauma of the pandemic. So, yeah. wow. Um, yeah. You know, after you published that, you had a number of people who responded. And, and that was, I think, one of the fun things to see in Facebook, that interaction of individuals. Isn't that great? Yeah. Um, uh, this Mar- I'll read one if you don't mind reading a few more too. But oh, Margie Benson, yeah. my father was born on yeah. February 3rd, 1918. He and his mother were quarantined because of this. Okay, so this is 100 years ago, and we have... Uh, people who participate in our Facebook page on state history that have a personal contact with that. I thought that was interesting. Any others stick out to you, Holly? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm looking at these right now. A woman named Jean Braithwaite. She says, my great grandfather, Charles Swenson died of the flu. Also his sister-in-law, his wife, Annie Jensen Swenson was left to raise her three children as well as her sister's two children. Their father died of the flu as well. Um, and this one is really striking from Maxine Christensen. She says, my husband's grandmother died during this time. They held the funeral on the walking path in front of the house. The seven children, ages 14 to six months, watched the funeral wrapped up in blankets sitting on the front step. Wow. So, I um, have been doing a bit of research, and of course, our inter- our, our interview today, I hope, will be part of a mm-hmm. series of blogs um, on on the 1918 experience in Utah. And one reference I read uh, from uh, Riverton speaks of uh, a young father and mother both being struck by the by the flu and and by uh, pneumonia, and then uh, another family. Uh, relatives had to take their children and they were still sick and infected. So they had to quarantine these little orphans in a separate room in the house and fed them through a, through doors, you know, just slipping them food. And it was the eight year old child, the oldest that was taking care of these children. So just such dramatic stories. 